Okay, we're gonna try this again. This is Coffee Talk with Stacy. I am going to be joined by Lisa from GMR Family Law. We had some technical difficulties, so hopefully she will be joining us in just a second. So. There we are. Oh, there you are. All right. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you, Stacy? Good. Technology. We uh, love it, but it doesn't always love us. Right, exactly. I apologize for that, but I am here, and thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. It's, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. It won't be the first time. It won't be the last time. So, um, Lisa, you are a family law attorney. So tell me a little bit about um, the types of cases that you typically uh, handle. Yes, I'm a family law attorney. I've been practicing about 12 years, uh, pretty much exclusively in family law. I handle anything from divorce to post-decree divorce, unmarried parents, anything relating to parental responsibilities, what we formerly call custody, child support, um, division of assets, spousal support. Um, one area of division of assets is obviously real estate. Um, I also do prenuptial and postnuptial agreements um, and, and domestic violence orders of protection. Wow. So you handle a whole gamut of stuff. So anything that is family law related, I will do except for estate planning, I do not do. Right. And so that you would refer out then to a specific attorney to handle that. That's right. Okay. So two so two things that I wanna um I, I wanna ask you about. So you said um with regards to like prenuptial agreements. Because um, I know a lot of people these days, they're buying a house sometimes before they get married. So if, so if you're writing a prenuptial agreement and um, people have bought a house together, how, how do you um, help them with that? Or if one person has, has um, contributed more yep. to to the purchase of the house because they have more money or more assets to bring to the table? How, how do you help them with something like that? So I would represent one side. So depending on which side you're on, if you are the side that, um, that contributed more and you want to protect that interest, I would draft up the prenuptial agreement or it can be a postnuptial agreement. Maybe you're already married and you're putting together a postnup in the event that you get divorced. I would draft it such as um, how to protect your interest. So if you contributed 80% of the down payment and your spouse contributed 20%, we can say that in the event of divorce, you receive 80% of the equity and your spouse receives 20% of the equity. Or maybe you contributed 100% of it and the mortgage payments came from a marital source of funds, then you'd get 100% down payment back plus the appreciation or increase in value 
and then perhaps the um, the payments that chipped away at the mortgage during the marriage, those are going to be considered marital assets, the increased value during um, so many ways to do it, and it depends on what side you're on and what goal you're trying to accomplish. Maybe, maybe you're sort of the have-nots. There's the haves and the have-nots. Right. So maybe you're at a financial disadvantage, but you want to be protected. And maybe we can negotiate something or even contributed more. Maybe you contributed personal during the marriage, supported that in your career. Maybe you were um, and maybe we can negotiate something better for you. It really depends on what your goal is, um, what your situation is, and whether we negotiate something favorable. Got it. And, um, okay, and what about for someone, um, what about if it's people that aren't necessarily married, they don't have any intentions of getting married, but they buy a property together? Is there something that you could help them draw up in the event that they break up? Is there some kind of document? Yes, so I can absolutely help them draw some sort of agreement as to what they want to happen. However, I just wanna clarify that if they were never married and maybe they have a child together and they purchase property together, the divorce court does not have jurisdiction to, to deal with the property. They have to go to a different civil court Divorce court only has jurisdiction over what happens to their child support. If they're unmarried, certainly drag something up for them and what they want to happen with real estate. But, and the agreement maybe never has to go to court because you just come to an agreement and you effectuate that agreement. But in the event there's a dispute and it does need to go before a court, that would not be the divorce court if they're unmarried. No, right. And I understand that. I, that was just something that came to mind because obviously there's couples that have just been together. They never get married. They buy a property together and then, you know, they, they end up parting ways. And so I was just curious if you've ever had that experience. I've not done one of those. It certainly happens. And I could, I could put together an agreement for that. Got it. And then um, what about, so in a divorce situation, typically you represent one side, right? And so, so when, when um, one of the spouses comes to you um, and you're representing them and there's, and there's no kids involved, because obviously it's different if there's kids involved and they want to, does the house always have to be sold? It doesn't have to be sold. So let's say we're talking about a couple that's getting divorced. There's no children. Um, they own a house together. Typically, somebody's either going to buy out the other one or it's going to get sold. Um, if you're doing a buyout, what you would do is one person has the ability to refinance the mortgage to take off the other party and they would have to qualify for their own mortgage or they'd have to come up with assets of their own to buy out the other spouse. So you would do, generally speaking, if we're, doing, if we're talking about a buyout, we would agree upon an appraiser. So we don't have two competing appraisals. We agree we're gonna have so-and-so appraiser conduct an appraisal. We're gonna agree that that's the value of the house. 
and let's say the house is worth 500,000 and we're doing a 50-50 split, then the one party has to come up with 250 if there's if it's free and clear or you know whatever it is to make up the balance and make it a 50-50 split if there's a mortgage to get the other person's name off the mortgage. Um, there are sometimes situations which are very rare that a party would jointly own a house together post divorce and not take them off, not take the other off the mortgage. A judge is never going to make someone do that. But let's say that there's some sort of financial incentive, like somebody wants to stay in the house, but maybe they can't qualify for a loan. If the other person's willing to stay on the mortgage, then what we do is we would have some indemnification language to protect the party that is still on the mortgage. Um, and, you know, like they say, everything in life is negotiable. If, if two people want to agree on something like that and they're both getting some sort of benefit out of it, maybe there's a different offset of the assets. Maybe Maybe there's not a lot of assets, but this person who's staying on the mortgage needed cash up front, so they took the cash assets and they're saying, okay, you keep the real estate. Maybe that's the deal that they struck. It can certainly be done. But generally speaking, either a house is sold and that's either by agreement of the parties in divorce or the judge is ordering it uh, to be sold because they can't agree and someone asks this judge to order it. Or, and usually if they can't agree, the judge will order it to be sold. Um, or there's a buyout. Got it. So, so there are some times that the judge will say, you guys cannot come to any type of agreement. The house has to be sold. Yeah, I would say more often than not, if two parties cannot agree on what's supposed to happen, the judge is most likely going to sell it because... Um, it'd be unusual to just say, oh, so-and-so, you have to buy the other one out. Maybe the judge will give them an opportunity to do so. And if then they can't do a buyout, then the house will be listed for sale on such and such date. And then they just split the proceeds 50-50 and they start fresh. Got it. Got it. Oh, and then if there are kids involved, um, is it, I mean, I know, I know now I'm I don't want to say nowadays but you know now in years ago right probably more when we were kids the mothers usually have primary custody right and the and the fathers just have visitation so was it more likely 20 30 years ago that the moms would stay in the house with the kids um but is that typically the case nowadays? I think it's still more often than not that the mother, I'd say more than 50% of the time, the mother is the one living in the house with the kids and they're doing some sort of buyout. Um, in some cases, maybe mom says, you know what, I don't want this big house. I want to downsize a little bit and have a little bit more cash flow because, of course, divorce is... You know, everyone's got to, both parties are going to have to reduce their lifestyle. You can't live at a lifestyle that you lived at when you were married, when you're separating into two households, right? Right. Often than not, the mom stays. Another concept that has, that is unique and does happen is called nesting. And it's only for certain families. You know, not every family can do this. They have to be very amicable. Right. But nesting is as well where the children, maybe the children are young and the parents don't want to disrupt their routine. So the children live in the house and 
mom comes in, lives there for, you know, whatever her designated schedule is, then dad comes, mom leaves and goes to another residence, then dad comes and lives with the kids. So that way the kids are always in the house and not being carted from one house to another. Yeah. And that, and that just is until a designated time, like when the kids are at a certain age and then decisions are made as to what to do. I mean, is that how it's delineated in a divorce decree or typically? Yes. We're going to force a family to do nesting. But in theory, if, if mom and dad agree to it and they think it's best for their kids, they could do that until they turn 18 or finish high school. And they would then, you know, jointly own the residence. They could... You know, nesting is is a very unique idea. And it, again, like the parties have to be very amicable to be willing to do something like this. Right. No, no. Right. I mean, you see it on TV all the time. But I've never I've never known anyone who actually has done it and carried yeah. it out. We've had a few cases. It's it's very rare. And there are certain times where I've suggested it and it just doesn't work. Usually it it. You know, I think it's just more beneficial for young kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can I can understand that. I can definitely understand that. Um, so typically, when um, when uh, you have get a new client and there's talk of the home being sold. Do they do do your clients each bring a realtor? Um, to be interviewed like how do your clients typically decide on a realtor because if the house is being sold because I know that you know if it's her especially if it's contentious or is the judge appointing a realtor like how does how does that process happen yeah so usually when I um you know the vast majority of cases settle at least the cases that I deal with, the vast majority settle. It's very rare that we'd have to bring the issue before a judge. So what I do is I talk to the opposing party's attorney and we come up with some terms that include, you know, number one, the parties jointly select a realtor. Number two, they defer to the realtor on price reductions and acceptance of offers and making counter offers and such and such. So let's say there was a one... I would say in most marriages, somebody is more in control of the finances. They should be able to agree upon a realtor. I don't usually see much dispute over that. If there was a dispute, then we would just say, okay, um, each party propose one. And if you can't agree, then each party propose another one. Or maybe we have a divorce mediator who's, we're going through the mediation process and we say, okay, you guys can't agree on a realtor, we're gonna have our mediator pick a realtor for you. And that'll be the tiebreaker. If if these people are really contentious and you're in court, then the judge is just gonna select somebody. Got it, got it. So, but that rarely happens. Usually they're able to come to some charge. Usually, yes, yeah. Got With, it. But they're lawyers and assuming the lawyers are reasonable, it usually, that's not the issue uh, is selecting a realtor. I think the issue is more how you divide the assets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and a lot of times then it comes down to price. I mean, obviously in today's market, putting a home on the market isn't always the issue because there's no inventory, but when things are slower, I'm sure that could be more of an issue 
if the home is sitting on the market for a longer period of time and there's a lot of price reductions or if the the homeowners have an unrealistic idea of what the price, home is worth. Right, exactly. And so in some cases, you know, generally speaking, I like to just put in my agreements, the parties will defer to the recommendations of the realtor, right? Because you're the expert, you know whether and when to reduce prices. Sometimes we actually set those rules in detail in the settlement agreement and say, you know, if an offer comes in within 5% of the list price, it must be accepted. Um, if the house is on the market for 90 days and, you know, there have been no offers, then they shall reduce the list price by 5% or 10%. Sometimes we put in those specific rules. It depends on a situation. Got it. I mean, that's, that's great advice because I think especially if the sellers want a higher price, that would be things that we as agents would want regardless whether or not there's a divorce involved or not. Just because we want the home not to sit, we want the home to sell, and we want to be able to get the clients as much money as possible and to be able to net as much as possible. Yeah, I think the only time that a conflict comes up is maybe somebody's just more motivated to get the house sold and one person is more like, hey, I think we can get more, so let's wait it out. I think that's where the conflict might arise. And is it because they, they want to try and get more money typically or is it because they're not as anxious to sell because they're, they're holding on? I think it could be a little bit of both. And then maybe somebody else is like, this house stirs up a lot of sad memories maybe and they're just just get it sold i don't care mm -hmm. just, you know i mean there's a lot, lot of emotion and i think as you know in my role i have to take the emotion out of it and advise my client hey like look at the cost benefit here and i know that maybe this is a very emotional piece of property and it, it but you've got to look at the cost benefit and then ultimately it's your decision i'm not going to tell you what to do as long as you understand the risks and benefits Oh, right. And I think, I think that's how it is anyway, right? You know, you, you have to look at, at, at the cost. How much is it costing you to hold on to the home in, in emotional energy as opposed to in physical dollar amounts? Exactly. Exactly. I, you're right. I mean, that, that probably happens a lot outside of the divorce process for various reasons, but maybe a little more amplified in, in the case of a divorce. Of course. No, definitely. But I think when you have, when you throw the divorce onto the equation, it can stir up a lot more emotions. Mm -hmm. And it's right. I mean, you talked about the fact that you don't do estate planning, but you know, I think a lot of it is also when you're dealing with an estate, right? If there's a lot of, if there's a lot of, uh, of um, family members that are selling like their childhood home, right? That takes, that can take a, a longer process as well because it's more of the emotional impact of selling the home as opposed to the financial imp impact, I think sometimes. And yeah. I think depending on who's, Who's the one, I don't want to say dragging their heels because that's not the right word, but who's the one that is waiting for that ideal number? It's what's behind that. A hundred percent, hundred percent. There's always something behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
yeah a lot of a lot of um it's it's very hard to tease tease um behind what uh what someone's motivation is mm -hmm. so. absolutely wow wow and then how um do you do you help um or talk to the kids at all when they're involved or do you work with the the parents on making sure that the kids understand what's going on as far as you know the home being sold you know connecting them with the therapists or you know social workers or whomever just because you know sometimes their world's getting I mean everything is changing yeah so actually ethically speaking I am only representing one spouse in the divorce and I the other spouse and I can not talk to the children. Got it. Client showed up at my office for a meeting and had their 14-year-old daughter with them. I would say, I'm sorry, 14-year-old daughter, you can't come in this meeting. You're going to have to sit in the lobby. Um, but I always encourage my clients to have them, have them have their own therapist, have their children have their own therapist. And of course, Clients, generally speaking, in a divorce, a party to a divorce is looking out for the best interest of their child. So I advise them in that respect. I advise them as to what's in their best interest, but also what's in their child's best interest, you know, emotionally, financially, and in all respects. Like maybe, you know, as it relates to the house, like, do you need to stay in this house because this is the only house that's in the school district and you don't want to uproot your kids? Then let's find a way to make it work. Right plenty of houses in the school district and maybe that's not a concern and maybe you want to downsize and free up some cash. So maybe in that case, you should sell the house and downsize because you've got something a block away that's still in the school district. So I would never speak to the child directly. Um, that's the role of the, that would be a guardian ad litem's role and the guardian ad litem is an attorney who represents the child and they can get through to really what the child needs and wants. Got it. The only reason why I ask is, you know, I, I used to be a school social worker, and so I would do a lot of work with a lot of kids going through divorce. And so having to navigate all of that as well um, just brings up a lot yeah. of things. Quite a change. It's a, it definitely is a change. But understanding that, you know, the kids wouldn't always want to leave school um, and that was always a big thing, like having to move away from their friends or having to miss activities because they were going with one parent or another. So, yeah. That's tough on a child. Yeah. So, so yeah. Lots of stuff. I, I don't, um, I, I think I... I I couldn't imagine some of the difficult cases that you have had to be involved in. Um, that's one of the things, just having to work with those kids on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I, I, um, I thank you for, for navigating all of that. Oh, so. you're welcome. I'm curious what made you decide to switch from being a school social worker to a realtor? So, so I was a school social worker, then I worked in special education administration. And I worked with kids with severe behavior disorders for a really long time. Um, and it was, it was very challenging. So I, um, 
I was in programs where I saw kids. Um, I worked in low income areas and kids that were um, had a lot of disadvantages, and um, it was it was a struggle. And programs were cut, and my positions were eliminated. And so I had been doing it for so long that I um, I couldn't get a job as a school social worker anymore because I was too expensive. And I couldn't get a job as an administrator in a school because I had been specialized working with the kids with the severe disabilities. And so I needed a, a change. Um, doing something where my age and my experience didn't um, impact me the way it was trying to find a job back in the school system. So um, I can still use my social work skills to listen and help help people process through, especially in this crazy market. And um, I'm very patient and I can probe and help people as well as I have good negotiating skills mm -hmm. and processing skills. So, and I listen very well. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure that a lot of those skills come into play when you're helping people make these, this major decision of yes. buying a home. Yeah. So, yeah. But it is, I mean, it's, it's different, but I also like the fact that I'm able to um, I don't have to, the bureaucracy was really difficult to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and it was very challenging towards the end working with some of the kids that I worked with, but so instead I volunteer my time and I d do other things to still stay connected to the schools. Oh, well, that's wonderful. And you get the best of both worlds. You get your break from the, the heavy stuff, and but you also get to give back. Exactly. Exactly. So, and um, yeah, so this has been great. I know we had some technical difficulties, but I'm really glad we got a chance to talk. And I'm so glad that we met at, um, we met, um, at that event, that women finance event several months back. That's right, um, Rosemont. Yeah, so I'm really glad that we connected then. And um, I look forward to talking to you again. And um, any way that um, I can help you in any way, please let me know. I hope I don't need your um, assistance with anything. No offense, but. I hope you you don't need me either, but I'm here if you have friends or family or colleagues that need me. I'm happy to help. You know how to reach me. And thank you so much for hosting me. And I hope to see you again soon at another networking event in person. Would that nice. would be great. So um, have a great afternoon. I'm glad it's warmed up. The other day was not so nice. So You too. Have a nice afternoon. Let's hope we're fine. Sounds great. Bye. Take care. Bye.